calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a spoiler review for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings here from the Geek Buddies. We are so excited to be here to talk our spoiler review. We did release our non-spoiler review over the weekend. And for those of you who watched the show religiously, you got our non-spoiler review in the regular time slot when we drop our regular show. But we thought we'd go and jump into a spoiler review and break this whole thing down. Because doing that non-spoiler review amongst the three of us, it was hard. It was hard because there was so much to talk about. We're going to dive into all of it. And in case this is your first time watching us, let's introduce ourselves. I am the Outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation and the Geek Buddies. Mike? I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Shan? And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Silicon Valley, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And all three of us are knee-deep in the Marvel lore and mythology, so we were excited 
to watch Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We're going to go around the horn and see what everybody thought overall. They're going to jump into breaking down them. We're not going to go section by section like we usually do. We're just going to talk overall about what we liked and what we didn't like about the movie. But I'll give you one last spoiler review, or spoiler warning, rather, before we jump into it. Mike, let's start with you, as we always do. Please uh, tell us what you overall thought of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, as Have you seen it a second time? Have you gone back a number of times to see it? Um, first, I just want to say I'm very happy for you, John, that we're doing a non-spoiler review because through this spoiler Shang-Chi, spoiler. the spoiler review, just because through, uh, through the Shang-Chi journey, I've realized how challenged you are with non-spoiler reviews. It very much stresses you out. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So I'm very happy that, I'm just very happy that we're here now for you. Thank you very much. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I loved it. Uh, you know, we all saw it together. As we said in the non-spoiler review, we yep. all really enjoyed it. Um, I did see it a second time on opening night with, uh, with a bunch of our friends and a crowded theater. And it was just, uh, it was marvelous. Uh, it was great. It was super, super fun. Um, everything that I felt about the movie the first time, I felt more so about it the second time. Yeah. Um, I think overall, uh, as much as Black Widow was sort of the... Well, as much, as much as Black Widow was supposed to be the beginning of Phase 4, yeah. and then the Disney Plus shows sort of became the beginning of Phase 4, you know, I love the Disney Plus shows. We have obsessively talked about them. But I think what was great about the Disney Plus shows is it took some of the characters that didn't get as much play in the movies and really deepened that and kind of expanded their universes and introduced some new characters that we're going to see in Phase 4. Yeah. And Black Widow uh, felt so much like Marvel also introduced a new character uh, in Yelena, who's going to be a big part of Phase 4, but really right. felt like closing out a chapter of what we have seen thus far. And I think what happened with Shang-Chi is it's a movie that felt a thousand percent like a Marvel movie and a thousand percent unlike anything we'd seen before. And so there was like all of the excitement of, oh my gosh, we are really back in the Marvel universe but at the same time going, wow, this is so different and we're really expanding what the Marvel Universe means. And I think in all the great ways uh, that we talk about all the time on the show, about representation, about diversity, Shang-Chi is the best example of doing that the right way uh, in a way that creates a brand new story and a brand new pocket of the Marvel Universe for us to obsess over. So I'm thrilled with the movie. I can't wait to go see it a third time. Uh, and I can't wait to talk about it in more detail now. Absolutely. First Asian-led Marvel superhero mo uh, movie. Great point you point out here, Mike. Also, you know, directed by Dustin Daniel Cretton, starring Simu Liu, uh, Aquafina, Michelle Yao, Tony Leung. Uh, uh, so many incredible people are part of this. We're going to jump into all of it. Shannon, did you, you got a chance to see it again a second time. Uh, oh, we were texting each other, and you said you went by yourself just to see a crowd's reaction. What was it like going to see it a second time for this uh, for this review? Well, my second time was actually with Vogel. Uh, oh, we went and okay. saw that uh, opening on, night. on opening right, night. That's right, yeah. that's right. So third and, time and a, you've seen it now. Okay. So this was a third time. I mean, when I saw how much money it was making, I was kind of like, okay, let me see what the holiday crowd looks like because I want to see a movie like this. I want to see it with big crowds as mm. much as I can because I just love that theater. I love the theater experience. I love seeing if if the the theater at large, the crowd at large reacts in the same place as I do, or, or if they react to someplace that didn't necessarily hit me the first time. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it was a blast. Like I, I had a great time. I mean, from the beginning, um, I, I agree with Vogel. And I think, I think we're all on the same page that Black Widow technically was the big screen right. entrance right. of phase four, but because it actually took place during phase three, I mean, it actually, you know, 
they, they show us, uh, they, they unfold some things that we didn't know before, um, much with like the, the introduction of Yelena. Um, but this one feels like the start of something new. Like it, it's, it's new, but it's different. I mean, and from, from moment one, you can tell this is a Marvel movie, but it's also something different. And, and I think across the board, I feel like the pacing is its own. The story is its own. The mythology is its own. But it, it has just that Marvel, that, you know, that Marvel seasoning that's like sprinkled in here and there, here and there. And it doesn't feel, at least to me, it doesn't feel obligatory. Mm. It feels like this is something that naturally kind of that naturally kind of fits within the realms of the story. Um, the, I, I agree with Vogel. The things that I liked the first time, I loved the third time. Mm. The things that kind of stuck out for me a little bit didn't bother me as much, but that doesn't mean they're completely gone. Um, right. So mm. I, I would call this a fantastic, this is a fantastic phase one movie. This is a fantastic origin movie. And, and, I'm not, and mm. I don't mean phase one MCU. I mean, Shang-Chi phase one, this was a great introduction to the character. Yeah, I think I agree with both of you. Like uh, Black Widow is like, let's uh, let's finish up the old business. Let's get done with the old. Yeah, we'll we'll bring on a couple of people. Okay, cool, great. This is like Iron Man in two thousand eight. This is the launch of a new phase, arguably a new kind of Marvel universe, completely almost because of what we've gotten before with the shows in this last few months, and of course a little bit in Black Widow. But really, Shang Chi was like the announcement movie that this is what it's going to be. This is what you can expect. Having when I would see it last night in IMAX uh, with the with the Lady Allah, the the uh, the Eternals trailer playing before it was just so perfect to get you to understand how expansive we are about to go in this new universe of the Marvel Cinema. I mean, we might start, you know, changing the terms. What's bigger than universe galaxy? We might start changing it to the Marvel Cinematic Galaxy because there's so much that might be coming both in a possibly quantum realm and then all the way out to God knows where and Captain Marvel's uh, travels. So there's so much that happens that I think is going to happen, but certainly here, this was a great way to come back to what made it great Marvel from the beginning. And then also show you how far they've really come as a uh, movie making outfit and what they're going to do next uh, in the, the next phase of the MCU. All right, let's jump into these. Uh, first, let's start with the story here. Uh, Mike, Mike, you're a showrunner. You know what it's like to be in charge of people writing scripts to get to an overall goal at the end here. The overall story is this of a young man trained to be an assassin from a young age who runs away from his family, lives a normal life for 10 years in San Francisco. He's yanked back to going back to his family that he ran from. Fight his, he fights his father, saves the world, and becomes one of the most powerful superheroes on the planet. So much happening in between those beats. But what did you think? And this is our final spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the movie, go and watch it. Come on back and pick it up here. Michael, overall story. Let's break it down. What did you think? Spoiler away. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing that's great about uh, what Marvel does great in their origin stories when they're really good is it's actually a pretty simple, straightforward story. I mean, mm. we get like a preamble where we learn about uh, Tony Leung's character. We learn about uh, Wu Wei. We learn about his past with the with the rings. We kind of learn it as the legend, uh, the way that Shang-Chi's mom is telling him the story. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we kind of jump right into modern day and we meet our guy. We see the life that he's in. And much like any kind of classic hero's journey, he, the life that he's in is interrupted by extreme crazy events. But then once you you get to it it's pretty straightforward it's like i've got to go see my sister uh me and my sister get taken by dad dad takes us back says hey we got to go get mom 
And they're like, that's crazy. Ben Kingsley shows up and then they kind of go to this magical land and they have to stop their dad. And like, really, when you break it down, I was thinking about this a second time. Like, they're not overcomplicating this story. Like, no. this is very clearly a story about a family, uh, a father, a mom, a son and a daughter. Mm -hmm. And what they mean to each other, what it means to be there for your family, and they don't really deviate too far from that. And that, yeah. what's good about that is it gives you the room for big set pieces, it gives you the room for comedy, it gives you the room for character work. Like, they're not trying to, like, bury us under mountains of backstory and information and right. the Ten Rings or this thing. Like, there's a lot of secrets about the Ten Rings, and when we get to the post credit sequence, we're going to see that that is going to clearly play into the bigger Marvel universe. Yeah. But they keep it really, really clean here. Um, and I think that is to their benefit, um, particularly when you have two leads who are so fucking charming, like Simu Liu and Aquafina are. Like, just give them the runway to just like chat with each other and have fun with each other. And in addition, when I say a clean storytelling, I also think the thing that they did that was really smart is, aside from a few beats and a few characters, this is very clean from the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, mm. this is, these are two characters that have lived through the blip. Uh, yeah. And that kind of comes up. But besides that, like, these aren't people that are tied into anything. And that's really good because they open us up to this whole area of the MCU that we've never seen before that really kind of delves into Asi Asian mythology uh, and this whole world of, uh, of Talo. And so I think that you know, by not weighing us down. Like, we see Wong, we see Abomination, and we get a few moments to remind us the universe that we're in, but yeah. it doesn't overpower us. So simplicity of storytelling in this case, I think, really, really works to their advantage. That's a great point, Mike. It walks its own path while occasionally touching on the overall universe, but not needing to make a big deal about it. That's a great point. Uh, Shannon, what did you think about the story overall as it was presented here, all the different characters that we got to meet for the first time? Uh, Shang-Chi's journey throughout the movie, you know, a young man who is basically happy parking cars. I mean, this is 10 years of his life where he wasn't, you know, having, you know, he says in the movie, I, it was, I, I didn't even remember a time when I wasn't training to be an assassin. And until he ran away, that was his mentality. Being there in San Francisco, he essentially having a second childhood later in life where he's actually able to do what he wants and, and go where he wants to go and sing karaoke and park cars and not have the responsibility of the world or this large criminal organization on him. And that eventually, of course, is brought back because you have to confront it eventually in any family, no matter what the power structure is. Uh, you have to confront this situation. What did you think overall the story here? Yeah, I mean, as as Vogel said, I mean, it was very it was very straightforward. I mean, I think like the best Marvel movies, especially the best Marvel introduction movies, kind of hinge on that that big third act yeah. uh, battle. And when you look at the, the 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 successful ones, like Iron Man, essentially, what was that last battle? It was him and Iron Monger fighting. I mean, that was that was the that was the extent of the conflict. Right. I mean, Thor, like the, the town in New Mexico got wrecked, but ultimately the climax took place in Asgard, where it was removed from our world. Captain America, the climax took uh, took place mm. in the past. This one takes place in in Talo. And, you know, you have you have the moments you have the bus fight which that is sort of his announcement to the world at large. 
you have the sequence in Macau, but outside of that, everything else is very, very removed. Mm. So, which is something I thought was, which spoke to its strengths is kind of like, you're not wondering, hey, how come no Avengers are showing up? I mm. mean, the one that does show up at the end makes perfect sense. I mean, right. like they, they cross paths, especially when you look at the MacGuffin of the Ten Rings. I mean, that's that's really the thing that gets their attention. And the introduction of Tony Leung's character, um, at, at the beginning, I can see it being like, well, well wait, wait, where are the rings? Where did he get them? And then you find right. out by the end, like there is more to tell with this story. We're just not going to tell you yet because it's going to play in to something larger. And I think that's where I think that's where it worked uh, very, very well. Um, the only like I think story wise, the only issue that I saw was that third act. Like when mm. you get to Talo, it is a bit of a shift from what we've been watching. And also you're in, you're introduced to an antagonist that we didn't know about for over two thirds of the movie. Mm. And that's where it to me, it just it gets it's still immensely satisfying and fun. It's just it just gets a little unfocused at that point because we've been following Shang-Chi and Katie and uh, Wen Wu, and Wen Wu is such a dynamic antagonist. I mean, he's right up there with the Killmongers and the yeah. Thanoses and the Lokis. Like this is a this is a guy that we like to see. And then by the end, he's sort of suppl- he's supplanted a little bit mm-hmm. by this larger threat, which is you know the big CGI monster. Yeah, but it <clears throat> it seems to serve the purpose of of uh, redeeming him, right? Because at the end, he. Hands is he's in essence hands his soul to that dragon because he doesn't fight it resist it then hands the rings over uh, to uh, to Shang Chi and you see the look on his face of this is a father passing this on to his son story wise I understand why they did it but I get your point about the fact that this is just presented to us late way later in the movie rather than throughout even though we get allusions to a dragon or things of that nature we don't know if they're talking about a dragon in the water or the dragon at the end that comes out of the, the dark cave there. We don't know until we get to the end, but that's it's, it's an interesting point you bring up, Shannon. It's certainly something we should touch on. Let's let's swing back to what you mentioned here, Shannon. Wen Wu, how they handled Wen Wu. Of course, we know it is, uh, it's kind of an amalgamation of a couple of characters from the comics, the Fu Manchu, which is kind of the racist stereotypical approach they took from back then to make him Shang-Chi's father in the comics and that approach to the, you know, the Asian stereotype of a villain type thing. They kind of removed that and brought in someone like someone like which is i think a character in the comics as well and they kind of mixed this mythology in and established him as a completely different approach to a character plus we have him explaining the mandarin thing at the dinner which i thought was a brilliant way to handle that what did you think about how they did or how they treated wen wu and and created him in this movie shannon I mean, it was super cool. As someone like the Mandarin was a character that they had always wanted to use. Like he was in the early first drafts of or the early drafts of the first Iron Man movie. Um, And it's a big character. And also you're dealing with some some stereotypes that were a little problematic. So problematic. Not a little. Just a little bit. Just a little little bit. (laughs) And so then when they did finally use him in Iron Man 3, um, the, the concept of the character we found out, um, a lot of folks, myself included, even though I thought Ben Kingsley was hilarious and brilliant, was like, ah, oh, that kind of, that kind of took the wind, the, the wind out. It was a little bit of a three card Monty. Um, <laughs> so now that they have actually, and like the, uh, the Marvel one shot that all hail, all hail the wow. King, where we find out through Scoot McNary's character that there is a real Mandarin out there. And then we find out it, it, we finally get to meet the guy that it is Win Wu. And they do 
I don't know. I, I guess you would call it a retcon, but yeah. he's or he's basically explaining like this is this is what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said I said kind of a retcon vocal. Mm-hmm. Calm down. No, it's a hundred. It's a hundred percent a retcon. Yeah, it is. Like that's yeah, that is literally the definition of a retcon. But they didn't have to change that much from what they did. I mean, it was basically like the the the, the ten rings that we meet in Iron Man one. I think that that is the ten rings. Like yeah. if you do the math on like okay, it takes place in twenty twenty three. This is how old Shang Chi was when he left. This is how old. When Wu, or this is the year that Win Wu meets uh, Shang Chi's mother. Um, it's kind of like okay, that kind. I think the math all all works out there. But I'm also trying to watch Shang Chi beat up bad guys right now. Um, <laughs> yes, I thought Win Wu. I, I, I thought he was just such a dynamic character. Mm. Um, and, and you know, Western audience, a lot of us aren't really familiar with uh, Tony Leung's work. Um, and there's just a there's a gravity. And mm-hmm. there's a there's a, a, just a charm that this guy has that the moment he walks on screen, you 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 have to watch him. And the smallest little things that he does with his face, the smallest expressions that he has. Um, and, and this is something that you can't teach. I mean, this is yeah. something that people just have. And he's one of those he's one of those performers that is just so dynamic in his screen presence. Um whatever issues people might have with the writing um he more than makes up for in the performance i mean he's just again he's just so he's dynamite yeah you know mike we've seen him in uh, well those have seen who've seen tony leung's work you've seen him in chunking express in the mood for love i first discovered him in hard-boiled the john woo film from the 90s sorry about i got a frog in my throat right here but <laughs> this is a fantastic portrayal by tony leung to bring this character to life. And if you're going to retcon a character, as you say uh, they did here in this movie, you want to bring an actor who is going to bring that kind of gravitas onto the set, onto the screen for people to accept the retcon and go forward with this new badass uh, approach to Wu and the Ten Rings. How, what did you think of Tony Liu's performance? What did you think of how they retconned Wenwu and how they moved and kind of mixed in the Ten Rings to explain it all, my man? Yeah, well, I mean, and what I was, I mean, what my point to Shannon was, like, a good retcon makes sense. Like, a good retcon is taking the pieces that are on the table and saying, well, how do we work these into a way that makes sense? A bad retcon is we drastically changed everything and you have to go with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what they did really well here was, and Kevin Feige's, you know, been really public about this, is in that era of the Marvel, you know, uh, Iron Man 3 with the way they handled the Mandarin and Ben Kingsley, Doctor Strange with Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One, they were in a place where they were trying to avoid stereotypes, but in trying to avoid stereotypes, ended up taking away potential roles from people of color and kind of going down a road that was like kind of still problematic just in a different way and where you have to give marvel credit is a lot of studios after doing something like ben kingsley and the mandarin would say let's just brush that under the table and pretend it didn't happen and here they took that character and put him smack dab in the middle of a new movie with tony leung as the actual character he was pretending to be and did it in a way that sort of nodded to the fact that they didn't really do it correctly the first time, but still took this character and turned him into something that was really great in this movie in Ben Kingsley's role, mm-hmm. and put Tony Leung in this role to kind of give the actual character uh, agency of his own, and gave him a speech where he was like, they called me an orange. I mean, like yeah. they just kind of ticked every box to say, we are going to keep this as part of our universe, 
but we are also going to, within the universe that we live in, point out the silliness of what we did. And I think yeah. they handled it. It's like, it's a tightrope. It could have gone really, really poorly, but they kind of threaded that needle in a way that people, I mean, like, Ben Kingsley's character, you're like, well, I hope he's in Shang-Chi too. Like, he was great. Like, he was he was cracking me up. Um, as far as Tony Leung, I mean, Shan, Shan said it all great, but, like, he's fantastic. He has this quiet intensity. Yeah. Uh, you just really believe in him. And I think particularly it served them well in the fact that, as you guys were saying, like, the whole idea of he kind of gets them there and he's like, hey, your mom is talking to me. She's trapped in a cave. I got to right. go save her. You're like... Okay, that could have been super cheese ball, and oh, you would yeah. have been like, ugh, I don't really know. But he believed it. He was very committed to this, and so I was on board. Like, I was like, okay, I believe in him. Um, I believe that this is really where he's at. And just that, his fighting style, like, I mean, his, his character is so interesting because you're like, here's a guy who lived for a thousand years, was obsessed with power, met this woman, fell in love with her put it all away, and then when she died, dove right back into it, and now is going to go rescue her ghost from a cave. Like, that's a lot to be playing. And he just sort of effortlessly made you believe in all of it, which I thought was amazing. Well, I mean, Shannon and Mike, we're dealing with the idea of loss yet again, right? I mean, we just dealt it dealt with it in the Doctor Strange What If episode. We dealt with it in all through WandaVision. In an essence, we dealt with it in Falcon and Winter Soldier with the loss of Cap. Uh, you know how they were dealing with it in the, in the post cap world and then we dealt with it once again in loki as well this idea of loss you know my loss of my life my loss of my freedom my loss of all these things that were there or or even uh, sophie what she's dealing her loss you know so a lot here throughout uh, the the first few projects from the mcu in this new phase is about dealing with loss and certainly we're going to deal with it again well a little bit i guess in eternals when all these people come back and what it ignites what kind of losses are people going to suffer in that film we're going to see but certainly this is a huge part of what we see uh, throughout shang chi as well in this and you're right mike it could have been so watching it again last night i was like man this could have been this could i mean you see the moment where the audience would be like what really this is what he's upset about after a thousand years. You could find another woman, but no, the love was so deep. And this woman was so incredible. They did such an excellent job of laying the groundwork of Lee with that beautiful sequence with them fighting and doing all the, the slow motion move around where they're looking at each other. They do such a great job of establishing her as this incredible entity that you understand his drive, his desire, his, his loss to want to get her back and why he's so blinded because there's a man who's so powerful. Once again, right? The, the hero trope of I'm so powerful yet. I can't save the one thing that I want to save. And in a, if this is done in a villain context, but still it counts, it works and it's effective. Uh, and they do an excellent job. Plus I want to throw in, cause you guys have covered everything with 10 rings and totally just to clarify real quick though, a Mandarin and Fu Manchu, that's the combo they kind of used here to create when was, so I apologize if, if I misspoke there and said when was in the comics, so it's, 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 it's an amalgamation. So in a sense it kind of is and kind of isn't, right. but the overall point, though, that I want to make here is the father and son dynamic here that worked so well. For, I got so emotional watching it last night. The look on his face. They didn't belabor it. They didn't go, go do something better than I. None of that. It was just the look from Tony Leung to Simu Liu in that moment is so powerful and so moving 
and the flashback sequences they throw in, the little scenes to, to let you know that in his own way, he did love his son very, very much. He just had a different point of view. And how many people have fathers who think they should do certain things and kind of push them to do certain things because they want what's best for them, but they don't have the emotional vocabulary to be able to speak to them about how to get them to achieve these things in life and they're doing what's best for them. You know what I'm saying? And so that kind of came through really powerfully in Tony Leung's performance as well. And I love that they threw that in there. And yes, it's the father something again in the MCU, but hell if the mother, mother th stuff works for, I don't know. I don't, I'm throwing it out there with Disney. We'll see. Anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> what about, what, let's, let's move on to the ladies in this. I mean, Katie, what did you think of Aquafina, Mike? What did you think of Zai Ling? Uh, what do you think of Lee? Uh, and 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 also, uh, what do you think of of of, of um, oh god, I'm forgetting the other actresses or the other characters' name. But what did you think of all of them throughout this movie? As oh, uh, uh, yeah, Michelle Yao's character as well. Yeah, what did you think? Uh, I mean, the women in this movie were awesome. Yes. I mean, just from top to bottom, the women in this movie were awesome. Um, I loved Aquafina. I think that Aquafina was just perfect for this movie. I think yeah. that every time she was on screen, I was happy. Um, I, I really, really am happy they didn't do a romance. Uh, yes. th maybe, yeah. maybe that's in store for these two characters down the road. I don't know. But I really love seeing male-female relationships in these movies where they just get to be really good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and that she was, she was the best friend role. She wasn't the damsel in distress role. She wasn't the I'm fighting for you. Like it wasn't like that. She was his best friend and she was like his ride or die homie. Like when he was yeah. like, I gotta go to Macau. She's like, you can explain it on the way. I'm going with you. And like, there was no question about it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and she, she served that comic relief role in a, to me, in that perfect way that like whenever things were getting a little intense, a little this, a little serious, like you could rely on her to have that moment that you're like, all right, we're back on track on that, on that, whether you like it or not, that Marvel tone of yeah. we're going to play things serious, but we're going to remind you that we're having fun with it. And that's really the role that she fulfilled. Uh, uh, Xiling as uh, Simu Liu's sister. God, yeah. what a badass! I mean, just an, absolute badass uh and i know it's jumping ahead to the post credit sequences but like seeing these two and the road that they are headed down mm. uh i literally can't wait for the next movie like i mean this this you know the movie is so much about to your point loss but yeah. also very specifically family and yes, yes. And, and and not just not just the loss of their mom but when the loss of their mom happened what that did to their family how yeah. each one of them in their own way i mean um you know xiling says to uh to simu Liu and aquafina like when when their mom died uh wenwu like wouldn't even look at her like yeah. he turned his yeah. back on his children uh, Shang-Chi turned his back on his family when he left and never came back. Right. And then Ling, because she had nobody, turned her back on everybody and started her own empire. So you have these three characters who this loss caused them all to break away from their family. And yeah. then you watch them all kind of come back in and see how coming back and reuniting like drives them all apart. And, you know, mm -hmm. for... For the for the for the amount of time that she was on screen, she was so impactful, and you really, yeah. really felt for her as a character. And then Michelle Yao can literally do anything. She could literally <laughs> stand on screen and read a phone book, and I would find it gripping. She is fantastic, um, and I think she served a really good role too. Again, she is part of this family. I mean, she's a part yeah. of this family that they didn't know, but she is 
a part of this family. She lost her sister. She suffered this loss as right. well. And she's there uh, to actually supply a really important lesson to Shang-Chi. I mean, Shang-Chi, like I said, he is someone who turned his back on his father, but also there's that scene early on, or in the middle of the movie, but it's a, it's a flashback between him and his sister when they're younger, yeah. where she says, do you still feel mom like when you're doing the exercises? And he says, no. So you mm. get very clearly that this is a character that is cut off from yes. both sides of his family, his mother and his father, and he's gone off and like lived his own life. And coming back, his journey through this movie is to literally, and Michelle Yao is the one who gets to say it, to embrace both sides. Like yeah. in in accepting who his mom was and letting that back in and letting that loss and that pain back in and accepting that his dad is his dad and that that's a part of him too. That's what gives him the power. So, yeah. uh, you know, like all the women in this movie kind of serving really, really important roles on this journey, but not feeling like second fiddles, feeling like guides, mm. friends, uh, you know, like they really all helped Shang-Chi's story because he's the main character, but all had really rich lives of their own. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that a thousand percent. Yeah. Shannon, we're talking about uh, Manger Zhang as Zai Ling. We're talking about Aquafina as Katie, Fala Chen as Lee, Michelle Yao as Ying Nan. Just want to get that out there to make clear we got everyone here. What did you think about how they handled the women in this film and then the, 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 the roles that they played here? Did you feel that they were very powerfully stamped throughout this movie? I mean, uh, Fala Chen as their mom, as yeah. as Lee was was again for that for the limited amount of screen time that she had. I mean, she was so so impactful. There was just something ethereal about her performance. Just something that sort of encapsulated that uh, that Tao Lo of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sorry, <laughs> Siri just popped up. Uh, okay. Son of a bitch! It happened again. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there was just there there. I would I would compare her to like to like Atilda Swinton. There's just something otherworldly about her. Right. Um, and again, for having so so little screen time, she was so impactful. The 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 montage of them being a family, mm. um, the moment they're all playing that dance dance revolution game. I mean, it was just so sweet and so heartwarming. Um, uh, Meng Zhang as as uh, Xiaoling. the sister was so uh, again just a really really just impactful performance. The, the way that she was able to play this, um, this hurt, this, yeah. this, this vulnerability that had been scabbed over, over all these years. I mean, the moment during the scaffolding, the scaffolding battle mm-hmm. where she saves, uh, Aquafina, it was just, again, that was just such a, such an awesome moment. Like the moment she, like, we know they're not going to kill Aquafina off halfway through the movie. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who's going to catch her. And it's just like, Oh shit, it's Shaling. <laughs> um, uh, Michelle Yeoh, as you guys have said, uh, I, I wish she hadn't been in the post credit sequences of Gar- guardians volume two now. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because I was like, Oh, uh, yeah, you're different. You're different. You're different. Like separate yeah. that. Um, well, you're gonna have to is... do that with Gemma Chan as well. So yeah, that's just part of the Marvel. Yeah, but she right was now. blue in Captain Marvel. Oh, that's okay. a significantly <laughs> different look. All right. <laughs> yeah, she's blue, John. It's a totally different person. She's blue. Come on, different accent. Different accent. I don't know. She when had I an saw American Avatar, accent. Cap- she had an American Avatar, accent in Captain Marvel. <laughs> Completely different. Uh, um, Aquafina so. is, is the only one that I would disagree a little bit. Okay. Um, and that's because I'm just not a big fan of her comedy. Um, okay. I think she did a wonderful dramatic performance in The Farewell. I thought she yes. was so good. Um, I feel like in something like this, and, and this is my this is my own baggage that I'm bringing into it. This is not a knock on the movie. This is just mm. my opinion. Um, the I feel like her comedy is so inherently broad that 
her presence in some of those action sequences lessened the stakes. Um, the, the Hotel California moment didn't really work for me at all. I was just like, ah, this this doesn't actually work. I feel like those those quieter moments, those those smaller moments, especially um, uh, towards that final action sequence, mm. the moment with her and Shang-Chi at night out by the water, I thought those worked really well. But as, mm. as a performer, I mean, Aquafina comedically just doesn't do it for me. I mean, okay. she she does have some funny moments, but overall, um, I, I didn't I didn't love the way she was used. But again, okay. that did not detract from my enjoyment of the movie. Fair enough. Um, uh, Fala Chen posted this, which I thought was really funny. I want to sh- share it real quick uh, on her Twitter because I thought she was incredible as well. She said, uh, "You know, you know, you're doing a good job when your husband is jealous." Her husband, Emmanuel Strashkov, posted this. Said, "If only my wife could look at me like this." Hashtag Shang-Chi. So you know you're doing a great job. <laughs> Your own uh, husband and wife are posted in that situation there. So great stuff. But uh, yeah, I loved all the women in this movie. I really enjoyed Aquafina. I, I hear your criticism, Shannon. Um, I have some of that with Simu Lu. I have a little bit of criticisms with a couple of the emotional beats there. I didn't think he 100% got there. But overall, I enjoyed his performance in the movie. Same thing with Aquafina. Yeah, maybe there are a couple of moments. But overall, I enjoyed it. I mean, that air, airplane sequence was hilarious having that stewardess interrupt them and all the beef vegetable thing again with, with a lesser comedian, I don't think that would have worked as, as well as it did, but it did work in that sequence. And you're right. The conversations by the water are great between them and her, uh, like having that moment for herself and her journey. She's spoken about it in numerous interviews, the character of Katie, the journey she went on, she identifies, she connects it to the journey. That a lot of Asian American people go through where they have this pressure from this family, from their family. They're trying to figure out what to do and they kind of disconnect until they can figure out what they want to do. So she really wanted to bring that that uh, part of her character uh, uh, proudly into the movie. And I think she did a great job with that. Love Michelle Yao. I mean, the woman, six, I mean, she's still doing her thing. Someone posted a, a video from the 90s with her and Cynthia Rothrock doing an awesome fight sequence. You're like, this is almost 30 years ago for the love. No, it is 30 years. Jesus Christ. And yet she, I don't know what her, uh, you know, age defying cream is, but we should all get buttloads of that because it's incredible how she looks and how she can move. And all of that was really great. But serving the purpose of the story, the conversations she has really, really powerful. And yes, Xilang, Megan, what she does with that character, she does not become the whiny uh, brother or sister who was left behind like Loki is a little bit in the first door. She very much was like, well, at 16, I broke the hell out of here and I started my own thing. She didn't sit around whining and feeling sorry for herself. She took agency. She took control of her life. And I liked that they had that as her character and as her storyline as well. Really powerfully done. And as I said, Fala Chen, just great as the mom movie, doing all the sequences, the moving around. She's so gorgeous, works so well in this, and you believe it. And her sacrifice, it's a really noble moment in the movie. And the movie only has a couple of those really noble moments, but they're powerfully done when you see them. Uh, Mike, you were going to say something? No, I just I think you make a really good point about Xiling's character where mm. it would be so easy, oh, particularly yeah. knowing where this character looks like it's going, looks like she's going to go, it would be really easy to have her kind of be that very stereotypical. I'm gonna compl- I'm gonna kind of complain about how you left me the whole time. Right. I'm go like it would have been easy to go down that road. And the fact that she is very clear on you left and yep. that's kind of fucked up. But I'm still gonna help you. I'm still gonna do this. I'm like she is very clear in her goals. Yeah. And she's very confident in her critiques of her brother. Like they, yeah. there's no, there's no whininess. There's no sort of, uh, 
oh, I'm I'm kind of annoyed with her as a character. Like, right. she makes good points. And yep. she went out and lived her life and did her stuff. But she's also not that person who's like, well, now I'm not going to help you because you didn't help me. Like, she's like, look, I'm going to help you. Like, it's a great moment where she's like, he's like, I thought you left us. And she's like, well, now you know how it feels. Now let's go right. fight. Like, you know, it was it's just, like, it was just where... one moment. That's it. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now, you know, now, you know, and now let's do our shit. And it just makes you really, really like her a lot, which I think is going to make, again, where they're going seemingly in Shang-Chi 2 and beyond. Uh, going to be like a gripping, gripping battle between brother and sister. I agree. Well, speaking of com comedy, let's swing to the big and that, the big reveal. And that was Trevor Slattery. Sh Shannon, I'm going to go back to you here. Uh, um, the lady Al almost jumped out of her seat because she loves Trevor Slattery. She loves that character. Maybe not what they did with the Mandarin, but she loves Ben Kingsley in that character. Having him come back, having the way he's used. In my opinion, it was great. And then it almost derailed the movie before they got back on track. What did you think about how they handled this and kind of did a second recon to, in essence, in the situation down there uh, with their conversations with him? I mean, going into it, I know that we had kind of chatted like, well, at the end of that short, I mean, they yeah. got him. So got him. so it would it would make sense that they would have him. But as you get into like halfway into the movie at that point that's just not where your head is. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're fully sort of ensconced in the idea that when Wu is going to take his guys into Talo and if they don't find his wife, they're going to burn it down. Mm -hmm. um, so the moment that you hear this sort of otherworldly growl and they kind of start searching <laughs> their cell and they find this door to a makeshift dressing room. And I, and I like there's... Aquafina going, you're walking towards it? You're walking towards it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I thought Ben King, Ben Kingsley is so funny as this character. And, and again, like it's, it's, you know, it's the same guy from Iron Man three, but with a different, with a different perspective, like mm -hmm. his worldview has changed because of his circumstances. Um, the fact that he can't like, and I know some people kind of dinged it for this. I didn't care that some people that, the fact that he could understand Morris, um, I thought was so funny. And the fact when uh, uh, Simu Liu and Katie uh, see, see Morris and they're like, what is that? He's like, what's what? What is that? He's like, you can see him too. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I mean, everything that he did before they had to go into the forest, I, I, I thought he did such a great job. Yeah. The, the, the one moment that it kind of took me out was again during that final battle and they're, 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 they're cutting oh, yeah. over to everyone, looking very serious, ready for this fight. And they cut over to him. It's like, what are you doing there? Get, get, get out of here. Have a bucket of water ready for people. Have you ever met an actor? They, of course they're going to take the role on in that moment. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, I mean, the, the whole thing with him and him, it looks like he's died. And oh, Morris is going over, kind of nudging him with his sort of faceless front. And he's like, it's just a performance, mate. <laughs> get down here and join me. Like I, I'm assuming they will bring him back for Shang-Chi oh, yeah. 2 if they go to... If they go back to Talo, uh, and, and I hope we haven't seen the end of Trevor's Slattery because it's yeah. very, very funny. What, what did you think, yeah. Mike? Did, did you enjoy it? Did you think it derailed the movie in any way, shape, or form? To me, it did not derail the movie. Okay. I think it was great that he was the token character in this movie there for some comic relief. Uh, and like I said before, I think I think Marvel did a great job of... It would be really easy to be like, Trevor Slattery, not our finest moment. Let's put him under the rug and not right. return to this again. And to put him in this movie in the role that he is 
in and kind of supply the comic relief, kind of give you that little link to the rest of the MCU. I thought they handled it really well. Yeah. I love that he is a fucking moron. Like his speech about his speech about the reason he loves acting is because when he saw Planet oh, of the oh, Apes, became he became an actor. Became he, he became an actor because he saw Planet of the Apes, and if they could teach those monkeys to act, then he could really do some shit. Like I was like, this guy is so dumb, but yeah. so enjoyable in his dumbness. Um, and you know, I think they. Uh, you know, I think they did a nice job. I know in Black Panther with Martin Freeman's role, some people were like, why did we have to give him his big hero moment? Why did oh, we have yeah. to have him be... Now, I, I, and I like that because I like Martin Freeman and I think it worked for that character in the world. But I do understand some people being like, oh, okay, well, we have to have this guy. And with, with, with Slattery, he didn't really have a hero. Sure, he was there in the battle right. at the end, but it's not like... He, did, he was not integral to this battle. He, like, realized there was some soul-sucking demons and said, I'm going to play dead. And so I just thought, like, again, they kind of, like, course-corrected there and said, okay, this is not his moment. This guy, maybe he'll have a moment one day down the road, but for now, this is what his role is. And I think it was great, and I think it sort of, um, in a subtle way, sort of said, okay, this guy... What we did with him in Iron Man 3 was ridiculous, uh, and now we're going to make kind of a joke of him as we have more serious characters that are proper representation take the ball and run with it, which I thought was great. Yeah, I, I liked him, and, and, and yeah, to me, just as they got to the to Talo, as soon as he came out, I mean, if he hadn't receded to the back, I think it would have thrown the movie off because the movie did such an incredible job of laying the foundation of a very serious uh, approach to this story, very serious approach to this family. Yeah, there's the karaoke scenes at the beginning, but once it gets going, it's about this this journey that both of them are, both Katie and uh, Shang-Chi are in this journey of self-discovery of where yeah. they're going to go and uh, you know kind of use their talents as their friend scolds them about doing earlier in the movie. It is about that journey, and they get to the dad. And it's, remember, uh, Wen Wu like, has them thrown in jail because they tried to kind of uh, stop him, and he flips both of them over, and even Katie yells and gets taken away. So it's a very serious approach. And then you have this, and, and that's very cool. And it's fun. They get into razor fist scar, which is again, a very Marvel thing to do. They have the humor and the fact that he would graffiti his own car and announce himself, it does work. And again, it doesn't work, but they made it work in this situation. And then when he gets to Talo and the sequence through the forest, brilliant, very brilliant. And then when they get there, gladly, they move him aside. And yeah, he has the little soccer moment with the kids, which one of our, uh, followers pointed out as a bit of a shot at the idea of whether China created soccer or the Britain created soccer. Apparently there's a, a centuries old battle about that. So that was a great throw in. I love that he's a Liverpool fan as I'm a Liverpool fan, but this all works. And then he's pushed to the side perfectly when he needs to be. So uh, let's move on to some uh, the fight choreography real quick. What did you guys think uh, of these, of these sequences uh, on the bus, on the scaffolding, the, uh, the fight scene between uh, uh, Shang-Chi and Wen Wu as well. Uh, and of course the fight scene with him uh, while he's uh, there uh, against the purple background, which is beautiful. What did you think about all these fight sequences there, Mike? Uh, out there, you know, Marvel, it's kind of a plus minus depending on your director. Uh, sometimes you get a movie and you're like, Oh, I love this movie. The, the way the acting was the, uh, the, the battles were shot was mm -hmm. okay. The way the fighting was shot was fine. Or a movie like Captain Marvel where you're like, oh, I don't really like these fight scenes at all. Uh, or you get the Russo brothers on the other end where you're like, didn't know the Russo brothers could direct uh, fight choreography, but these fights are great. And yeah. thankfully for this movie, the fight scenes are great. Like it's far enough away that you can really see what's going 
going on. Um, you know, you stay on shots long enough because these guys and girls know what they're doing. So you don't yeah. need to do a lot of fast cutting to make it look good. You just pull back and let them do their thing. And it's powerful. And so I thought they did a really, really good job. I mean, you know, kind of like right from that bus fight at the beginning, it was like, oh, okay, yeah. this looks great. Like we are, we're, we're going to get the good version of the Marvel action sequences in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think, my, uh, Shannon, about the, the choreography, the action sequences as well? I'm sure maybe you know some uh, a couple of stunt performers uh, on this film, perhaps? I, you know, I would have to check. Well, they shot this one in Australia, so That's right. probably probably not. Um, it's possible. Um, but uh, the bus, the, the opening opening bus fight, yeah. I mean, that's right up there with the Winter Soldier elevator fight. I mean, it's mm-hmm. that close quarters combat. You have sort of the X factor of the bus and, you know, uh, Razor Fist ends up slicing the brakes. The bus driver gets knocked out. I mean, yeah. everything about that sequence is awesome. See me going inside of the bus, outside of the bus. I mean, so, so much, such a blast to like, this is the character's first fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about, Iron Man, think his first flight. Think about uh, Steve Rogers chasing down the Hydra agent. You think about Thor's fight on the uh, on the ice planet, on uh, Jotunheim. Oh, yeah. um, this was right up there with your sort of intro fight uh, for the movie. And just such a blast. Uh, the uh, scaffolding fight, that shot where he's going to save Katie, that he's He's popping these guys in the face. He's swinging in inside of the scaffolding, outside of the scaffolding. The fact that it, like, when he catches her, and then that's also when Shaolin gets it, reintroduced. Just so much fun. The, the yeah. fight between him and his sister in the ring. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I mean that moment when she kind of you know kicks him in the face, and he's not expecting it like that. Like you feel that. Like you yeah. just felt that in the theater. Yeah, I thought the fight choreography was fantastic. A lot of stuff, the, the fight he had with the Death Dealer before yes, Death Dealer. before Wu gets introduced or before Wu kind of stops him from stabbing him. Um, yeah, everything with the fight choreography was awesome. And in the fight between him and uh, Wu and uh, Shang-Chi at the end, I mean, yeah. because that's like a three-level fight. Mm-hmm. And by the end, when Wu saves him uh, from the Dweller in the Dark, yeah, everything was just... Super powerful, super emotional. I mean, yeah. I know in the trailer, the moment where he says, is this what you wanted? I think we as an audience sort of presumed, okay, this is the this is the end of the fight. And I was like, right. no, this is end of like part two of the fight. Right. There's right. still a whole other section to go. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. And I really thought the uh, the dragon versus the dweller in the dark was was awesome as well even though that was uh that was all the computers but still fantastic yeah i don't understand the complaints about the cgi i mean i i think it was fantastic i thought it was well done certainly the black panther cgi i'd have way more complaints about in that final scene that i would in this final scene i thought they handled it really really well i respect people's issues with it but i personally had no problem with it even more so a second time really did not have an issue with the cgi I love the choreography as well throughout. Shout out to Andy Chang, who co- who choreographed most of the movie. Uh, you know, he's worked with Jackie Chan for quite some time um, and uh, had a great time doing it. And of course, Destin Daniel Cretton, who's the director of the movie, he threw in a couple of Kung Fu hustle references. Uh, one of the actors, the actors who's, who's in charge of the archers there working with Aquafina, he was in Kung Fu hustle. I think he was the landlord there as well. So there's a lot of homages throughout the movie. Uh, Michael, swing back to you real quick. And we're going to jump into the, we'll jump into the um, uh, uh, post-credit scenes in just a second, but real quick, Destin Daniel Cretton, how did you feel he did with this movie as an origin movie, but also as the 25th movie in the MCU coming in with his unique point of view? How did you feel he did as a director in this film? 
I mean, look, for the 25th movie in the MCU to have people this excited, he must have done something <laughs> right. You know, I mean, like, that's really, and I think, and I think it's because he was really focused on telling this story as authentically as he could. And I think to your point about all the references to whether it be Kung Fu Hustle, Crouching Tiger, like there's there's yeah. so many references in here to other films that came before it, not in the Marvel universe, but in Asian cinema, in martial arts films and everything. And I think that this was kind of his love letter to all of that. Um, and, I, and like I said, I think he kept it simple. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that despite the fact that we end with this giant CG battle between two giant monsters and uh, brother and sister, yeah. uh, you know, it was a really clear story throughout. Um, and he gave himself the space to really uh, dive into those action sequences, dive into those humorous moments. And, you know... I, look, I get people's complaints. It's the it is the eternal debate on do you want like a super serious superhero movie? Do you want a light and fun superhero movie? And Marvel, for better or for worse, depending on where you land on it, is very yeah. clear on what their tone is. And this is an all ages tone. So yep. you're gonna have some of the lighter moments uh, that maybe the older, more serious superhero fans are like, oh, why'd they have to do that? But you did it because you got like a six year old kid sitting next to you with their eyes as big as saucers, being like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. So right. you know it. It works for everyone and I think that's what's great about it is that these are movies that everyone can share and for for a director to come in like I said at the 25th movie uh, in this universe that has been building and have everybody share this in a way that you know just just like with Black Panther that this is a very specific story uh, that is very specifically representation in an awesome, amazing way, but in a way that is accessible to all audiences that we can all kind of revel in this. Um, obviously, yeah. if you are Asian watching this movie, it means a ton to you to see this much representation on screen. But I think for all of us to be able to sit and see these characters kind of take the spotlight, like to me, it feels great. And I think yeah. he nailed it. Ashana, he, we've done a lot of things. He, he brought in another choreographer as well, Brad Allen, and he said in an interview that they that Marvel really wanted to get the Kung Fu right, so they brought in Brad Allen, who had been a person who had been taken taken under Jackie Chan's wing, and he, he uh, choreographed a lot of the uh, Kung Fu sequences. The film is dedicated to him because he tragically passed away at 48 years old. I think it was earlier this year. Uh, and so just seeing that this is the kind of dedication he understood, Daniel Dennett, what his responsibility was to this film and what he wanted to get across. This is an Asian film. It isn't just a Chinese film because I think Daniel Critton is Japanese and there are people from different cities or different countries uh, throughout the cast. So it's very much an Asian film and he wanted to get that across very powerfully, but also still have it appeal in a universal way, no matter where you're watching this from. What did you think uh, about how he did as a director? I mean, and I think I already said this in the non-spoiler review, but yeah. much like Coogler with Black Panther and James yeah. Gunn with Guardians and the Russos taking over from Cap over to the Avengers, like this, he was the guy. He was yeah. the guy to do this. I mean, you look at the different styles of fighting, um, the, the kind of more Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon of Talo, the kind of the more magical, the elemental way mm -hmm. of how Lee fought uh, to just the way uh, Shang-Chi was fighting throughout most of the movie. I mean, he, he was the guy to do it. And yeah, I think he did a great job. And I'm, I, I would presume that he would be coming back for the inevitable sequel. I agree. I think you should absolutely come back like Coogler, like uh, um, uh, James Gunn's going to come back for the third Guardians as well. All right, let's move into the post credit scenes. Michael, we'll start with you. 
What is this beacon? What is going on here? Wong with Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. Captain Marvel longer hair, so clearly some time has passed since Endgame. <laughs> uh, uh, Bruce Banner back to not being Professor Hulk. He's back to being regular Banner, and he's got the sling from the snapping. What did you think about what, them breaking down these rings and this beacon? What are we expecting to see from this, man? Well, this this is what, I mean, God, I love this post-credit sequence so much. It was so great. Because, like, I love, like I said, I loved that, like, this movie got to kind of live on its own two feet. That, like, yeah. yes, uh, Slattery's there. Yes, you see Wong in the Abomination. But this, and yes, they mentioned the blip and how we live in a world where everyone can disappear and then get blipped back into existence. But it very much is in its own place over here. Uh, and then you get to the end of the movie and Wong shows up and he's like, all right, come with me. And you really, like, the two of them stepping into that portal at the end, you're like, oh, these two are now stepping into the Marvel Universe. Like, it was this amazing feeling. And then you get to the post credit sequence and all the questions we had about the Ten Rings, you're like, oh, okay, valid questions. Everybody has them. I do think it's yeah. interesting that apparently for the entire time that Wenwu was using these Ten Rings, nobody really noticed. Like, whatever he was doing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. didn't. Like, and, you know, it's, it's the blue light when he was using it throughout the entire movie. Like, they were powerful tools that he used, yeah. but whatever he was doing didn't catch everyone's attention. And the moment that Shang-Chi did it, in whatever way he did it, the light now is the exact same color as the light yeah. that we see when Doctor Strange and uh, and Wong and everybody used their abilities. And it caught their attention. And so something happened, something was different. Um, and then, you know, so you have Wong sitting there examining it and I'm like, okay, cool. We're gonna learn more about the 10 rings. Then you cut to Bruce Banner and you're like, oh, he's no longer in his Hulk form. He's still got the cast and you're like, okay, of course Bruce Banner would be the one, you know, this is where they do a great where it's like in a normal movie, you're like, well, I, where, why wouldn't they get Bruce Banner? He seems to be the smartest guy. Why yeah. wouldn't they do this? And you're like, well, it's a different movie. It's a different world. And this post credit sequence is like, oh yeah, you would get Bruce Banner. And there he <laughs> is. And also, is this alien in origin? Well, there's, there's Carol Danvers. Let's ask her about it. And to have them all sort of talking about it was great. I love the fact that for all the shit that Marvel got about Carol Danvers never being around and being this deus ex machina, <laughs> they, they're leaning into it because she fucking yeah. is like, I've got to go. Yep. He's got my number. And then Banner's like, I, I don't have her number. She always does this. <laughs> She's always leaving. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, look, I guess this is going to be a part of where we're going with her. Um, to the point that I do think, so a couple things. A, phase four is fucking bonkers we already know that we've got this fucking multiverse happening yeah. and then we've got julia, julia louise dreyfus over here like recruiting people for yeah, her Valentina. own purposes and we don't know what's that what that's about and now we've got this beacon in the ten rings that is sending a signal to who knows where and you're like man this is like what where are they going with all of this how are all of these things going to tie together yeah. um it's bonkers and then i think what they did that was so great is this first credit sequence is all about getting you stoked about the bigger mcu the bigger mm -hmm. mysteries like this is our new infinity stones where it's where's it gonna go and then you get to the final post-credit sequence which which is uh jai ling back at the fortress yeah. and you know Shang-Chi had said she was taking everything apart. She's clearly not. She's taken over the Ten Rings, uh, doing it her own way. A bunch of women fighting in the courtyard, even though women didn't used to be allowed to fight. Giant yeah. satellite. 
you know, a um, bunch of graffiti art everywhere. And not only is it badass, but you're like, oh, this series, this story of Shang-Chi is about family. And this next movie is going to be about family, but now it's going to be brother versus sister. Possibly. Um, possibly. That is my assumption based on some of the comic stories and based on uh, what they were setting up. And I kind of came out equally as excited about Shang-Chi kind of joining the bigger Marvel Cinematic Universe as I am about seeing his personal story and where it goes in the next movie, which I think is a win-win for these post-credit sequences. Yeah, what did you think, Shannon, about both post-credit sequences? What stood out for you? What are you going to remember here? Well, first, I think we have to talk about Wong and Abomination. Yes. Um, because we don't know how Wong, because he calls him a meal. Yeah. So, like, we don't know exactly how they're connected. Like, when they go through that portal at the end of their fight, that sure didn't look like Comertage to me. That looked no. like something a little more modern. So how some, has Wong gotten hooked up with Emil Blonsky? Some people are speculating that's the raft. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, we know we know Blonsky was in custody at the end of Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's sort of where our knowledge ends about him. But and why it, are they but, getting along? Like, is he is he going to be an, a good guy now? Is he going to be? I, th- I, I think know. he's probably. I mean, it seems like he might be recruited for yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for what we don't know, but it seems like they are trying. They like he. He is providing a service in exchange for something, possibly yeah. to get out of to to you know uh, uh, get his sentence ended early. Mm. Um, the moment that Wong came in into the restaurant at the end, I thought that was just so. I, I thought that was so fantastic, and much like Vogel said, like they're literally stepping into the Marvel universe. I mean, in yeah. the in the comics, the rings have an intergalactic origin. So this beacon, whatever it's like, we don't know who in space it is calling, but. Again, I would love to get a peek at the the Marvel dry erase board about where all of this is leading. And the thing that I really loved about the Ten Rings with Shaolin taking over um, is I don't think there's necessarily like she's not a bad guy. I think she has a particular idea and that she's going to use the Ten Rings as a way to accomplish that idea. And yeah. reason dictates that that is going to be in conflict with what uh, Shang-Chi thinks. So, yeah, super, like, really great, really great post-credit sequences. Yeah, and apparently you can read this run, Brothers and Sisters, that's uh, that came out in 2020 from Gene Luen Yang, illustrated by Dyke Ruin and Philip Tan, that explores this uh, conflict between brother and sister in the Shang-Chi universe yep. uh, when she kind of takes over a version of the Ten Rings and christens them the Five Weapons Society, what that leads to. So maybe they'll be borrowing some of that for the sequel. I think she's going to play the Loki kind of version. She's going to play good and bad at the same time, depending on what works for her and what she's trying to do with that Ten Rings. And she may have a bigger point of view than Shang-Chi does about what to do with the Ten Rings. So we shall see with that. Uh one more thing I wanted to throw in. Oh, never mind. Mike, go ahead. I was going to throw it no, in. Well, when I was, it comes I was, to me again, I'll bring it up. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I think that bottom line, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with Shannon. I don't think that she is a bad guy, but right, I no. think that Shang-Chi's opinion on the Ten Rings and what the Ten Rings has done for, you yeah. know, hundreds and hundreds of years, like not good stuff, right. not legal stuff. And I think that just the world that she came up in and, you know, having this kind of underground fight ring, her opinion on what she wants to do will be in conflict with his opinion 
as being a, you know, I'm part of like this superhero community now. And I think right. it's just going to be really interesting. But to your point about Loki, I think that she will be a great character because she is not a mustache twirling bad guy. She yes. is not a, well, now I want to take over the world. She, whatever she's going to do, she's going to think she's doing for good reasons. And as we were saying about her arc in this movie, they avoided making her... Uh, a one-note character. And yeah. so that's what makes me intrigued to see where she goes. Like, I'm kind of into her version of the Ten Rings. And yeah. that's going to be more fun than going, oh, I'm just the bad guy, and now I'm going to be the bad guy in the next movie. Yeah, and having Florian Montano, who was kind of uh, had a little bit of comic relief at the end of the film, and having Ronnie Chang, who's a very well-known uh, Malaysian comic, be a part of her two people who are standing there lets you know that there's going to be a little bit of a lighter approach to her approach to being in charge of the 10 rings. So you'll, it's going to be more complex, I guess, the way they present uh, what she does with it, which I think is, is great. One thing I wanted to point out, this is what I remembered. If could that beacon be the fantastic four, not in or not to alien in origin, but out there somewhere intergalactic, are they stranded somewhere? Is that the beacon that leads them to find Reed Richards and the crew there and bring the Fantastic Four into the MCU. That's what struck me as I was watching it the second time. Well, I think the Ten Rings are the be- They're sending the beacon. So I don't yeah, think it's how, receiving how, a beacon. Okay, all right. But how, how is that happening? I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe well, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. the, Ten Rings, the Ten Rings are a little bit older than the Fantastic Four I would be. So even if... And I think you make a good point that, like, look, the Fantastic Four are intergalactic, potentially multiversal. Like, Reed Richards is the biggest brain in the Marvel Universe, makes Tony Stark look like he's, like, you know, uh, you know, in in elementary school. So the intergalactic nature of what the Ten Rings are could absolutely be a way to bring the Fantastic Four in. Or it could be tied to the Celestials because it's real, real, real old. Like, so there's a lot of options for what it could be. But, uh, but once again, just a big indication that wherever phase four is going, they're going big. Absolutely. One last thing. I know you got to run Mikey, but one last thing, the music, what can we say about the music? This, I think this soundtrack rivals, well, not rivals in a way that it's better, but certainly you can argue that this soundtrack is maybe the second best soundtrack or the best soundtrack uh, compared to the Black Panther. Like, Black Panther's number one, in my opinion, and then you've got this soundtrack just slightly below. But I thought it was incredible. What would you guys think of the music, real quick? Are, soundtrack or score? Both. How about both? A score, I would not put it in, in okay. the top. I, I, thought it had, I thought it had some good moments, but I do agree that the soundtrack that they, put, that they compiled, yes, that was very good. Yeah. Mike? Um, I think what's great about the score is that it feels very much tied to this movie. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it would fit anywhere else. Like it very, very much like feels like Shang-Chi. And I, I loved it. I've been listening to it uh, on kind of a loop since uh, since we saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Joe P. West, shout out to him. Yeah, I think the soundtrack is stellar. Watching it a second time, I was into all the music, so I'll definitely be buying it. I think I'll get an LP form because I want to kind of hear it on my record player, see what it sounds like. So uh, shout out to everybody involved in the soundtrack and the score. All right, final thoughts here. Let's wrap up. Uh, uh, Mike, uh, where do you place this now after having seen it twice? Where is this uh, uh, on your list of MCU films? 
Uh, well, the good thing about the MCU list is aside from like a couple at the very, very bottom, like it's a list of a bunch of movies I like. Um, I think that Shang-Chi lands somewhere in the top of the middle. You know, I mean, okay. like those, those, you know, it's it's not it's not in my like top five, top ten, but it's just below the top ten as far as where the movies go. And as a lot of people are saying, I do think it is one of the stronger origin stories in the MCU. Like if you were just to take only origin stories, uh, it's real, real close to the top. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, uh, Shannon, um, where, where do you rank it? I currently and and, you know, the MCU ranking list like it, that it's it, it's liquid like it, it is constantly moving where I have it right now is it is at number 12, just ahead of Spider-Man Homecoming and just behind Captain America one. Oh, yeah. Okay. My list and I my list includes all of the Disney Plus series. Now I added those in and oh. Shang-Chi is and Shang-Chi is number 13 between Thor Ragnarok and Spider-Man Far From Home. Mine's, it, it's in the top 10 for me. In the bottom half of the top 10, but it's in the top 10. I like it more than Ant-Man. I like it more than Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, and I like it uh, I like it just a little bit less than uh, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, which I love to pieces. So yeah, that's it's in the maybe eight range, I think, right now for me overall. And I think the more I see it, it's going to grow uh, in its estimation, we shall see. All right, well, thank you all so much for joining us for the spoiler review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Hope we covered everything that you wanted us to talk about. If not, please let us know in the comment section below what you felt about it and what you felt about everything we were talking about. Oh, my God, I'm taking Michael's job. Never mind. Shannon, what do we got to, what do we got to tell him? If you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore, underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at NK Tooney. If you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca says. Mikey? Well, as John just said, <laughs> we love hearing from you guys. Uh, and we definitely want to know what you guys thought of Shang-Chi. So definitely leave some comments uh, below. Let us know what you thought. Did we miss anything? Is there any like glaring things that we didn't touch on that you want to hear about? Um, obviously, hit the like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, leave us some stars. Leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, and tell everybody that if they want to be geeky, they want to have buddies. We are the place where that happens. Come on and hang out with us. There you go. Come on and join us in our universe for sure, the GBU. All right, thank you all so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new review episode or a brand new show here from the... Geek Buddies! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.